0: Take a look at this picture up here on the screens. Probably three words come to mind. It's tool time. Remember that? Raise a hand if you remember this sitcom from the 1990s. There, that's good. It's always good when the pastor is culturally relevant. (laughs) At least a little bit, right? So tool time, right? It, It comes from this sitcom called Home Improvement, starring Tim Allen, right? And each episode of Home Improvement also included Tim's own program. It was a TV show within a TV show. You know, the technical word for that is called a meta program. A meta program means a TV show within a TV show. And of course, this TV show called Tool Time, right, within the TV show called Home Improvement, not only starred Tim Allen, but of course also his mild-mannered assistant and friend, Al Borland. And each episode of Tool Time within Home Improvement always began with this question: Does everybody know what time it is? And the response was what? Say it with the full voice. It's tool time. <laughs> the prophet Zechariah is also concerned about time and Tools in his second vision, his second night vision that we're looking at in this first weekend of Lent. Of course, if you were here on Ash Wednesday, you know that we began a 15-part sermon series on the prophet Zechariah called Your Kingdom Come. And Zechariah teaches us this morning that God's kingdom comes when it's what? Tool time. First, we'll talk about the time, then we'll talk about the tools, just to kind of lay out the major gist of this message. The time. The time would be 520 BC. In fact, Zechariah gives us three time dates in his book Zechariah 1 1, 1 7, and then 7 verse 1. It's a time of deep despair and hopelessness because in all three date formulas in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah tells us that Darius, Darius, the Persian king, the third Persian king after Cyrus and Cambyses, Darius is the reigning monarch of the ancient Near East. Why is that a time of deep despair and excessive misery? Because God's people don't have a king after the house and lineage of David on the throne. Israel had had a Davidic king on the throne for 500 years. And now who's ruling us? Darius, the pitiful Persian. So that's the time. It's the time of deep despair, excessive misery. Now the tools in the second vision. In the second vision, at the end of Zechariah verse one, uh, chapter one, excuse me, <laughs> the prophet envisions four horns being defeated by four craftsmen, four carpenters, and these carpenters have nothing but their tools: their saw horses, their pliers, their nails, and their hammers. <laughs> so that's how we overview the vision. The time is a time of deep despair. The tools that are going to conquer these horns are in the hands of the craftsmen. Hence, it's tool time. Now, we can't understand the vision unless we understand The horns, right? There are four craftsmen. There are four horns. And Zechariah 119 says that the four horns, pictured up here on the screens, these four horns have come to scatter Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So the horns are the enemies. The big, bad, beastly horns are the enemy nations like Babylon and Assyria. And before that, Egypt and the Philistines. These horns have scattered the people of God. So why does Zachariah say the enemies are like animal horns? When I was a child, my parents took my sister and I to Acapulco, Mexico. And there I saw my one and only bullfight... And I begin to understand the power of horns, right? (laughs) Animal horns can what? They capture and kill. They gore and gouge. They maim and maul. They kill, steal, and destroy every man, woman, girl, and boy. (laughs) So animal horns are a fitting symbol for the enemies of life. Think not only bull horns, but ram horns, antelope horns, elk horns. And they have come, Zechariah says, to scatter, to rip, to shred people's lives. Again, Zechariah one nineteen, these horns have scattered Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. Horns are not only symbolic of ripping and deadly enemies in the book of Zechariah, but really throughout the Bible. If biblical authors want to say, these are the enemies, then they will use horns. Daniel chapter 7 pictures marauding empires as horns. Revelation also pictures evil using horns. The dragon in the book of Revelation is pictured as having 10 horns. And the first beast in Revelation chapter 13 is pictured as having 10 horns. Get it? Horns mean enemies that will kill and steal and destroy. And the solution to these enemies would be craftsmen Carpenters? (laughs) Carpenters? <laughs> deep despair, excessive misery. The kingdom comes through craftsmen, Zachariah. <laughs> I don't think so. We can't blame Zachariah's congregation for thinking that it's deep despair, excessive misery. Uh, the, the four craftsmen in this vision, they don't stand a chance against the four horns that scatter and rip apart people's lives. Let me tell you about the enemies in our lives who do the same thing. And within this second vision, it says that the people are downcast. They're, they're, <laughs> their heads are low. Their shoulders are slumped. They feel like these people on the slides. No, the horns that rip and tear our lives apart are three. And let me tell you how they work. The first one is rejection. There is nothing more painful in life than rejection. Being rejected by your spouse or your friend or your child or your grandchild or your professor or your boss. Rejection. You get voted off the island, and it feels like someone is taking five knives and carving up our stomach. That's the first horn. That's the first enemy. But then that leads to isolation. Isolation. See, when you're rejected, you're alone. Uh, You you don't have that friendship. You don't have that relationship. You don't have that connection anymore. So you go from rejection to isolation. And and once you are in isolation, then the third horn, the third enemy, kicks in. You know what that is. It's desperation. You know what to do. You know what to think. You know how to feel. So we feel like this. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day and week and month and year and decade. And sometimes it feels like it's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life. And Zachariah says it's tool time? When I'm trying to recover from rejection and isolation and and being in desperation, it's tool time. And, of course, for the carpenters in the vision, they actually had real tools, right? Sawhorses and pliers and screwdrivers. Our tool is what? What does God give us to rebuild the ruins? When we are rejected and isolated and desperate, he gives us his word. His word, his, the Bible with all of its promises, with all of its power, with all of its peace, God gives us the Bible. And we think we still don't have a chance. I mean, that's all I got? Against the bad, beastly, bruising, brutal horns? is just the Bible? And so we still walk around in despair and hopelessness. Zachariah 120. The Lord not only showed him these four horns, right? The scattered Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel, right? But then in 120, the Lord showed me Zachariah says, four craftsmen, there they are, craftsmen, carpenters. People are gonna rebuild the temple. The, <laughs> the craftsmen are the builders. Because the Babylonians destroyed the temple in 587 B.C. And now it's 520 B.C. Remember, that's the time. And here's the tools. The craftsmen are going to rebuild the temple. The kingdom comes through craftsmen. Now, that's the English Standard Version of the Bible. It translates the Hebrew word karashim as craftsmen. But the New Revised Standard Version translates this Hebrew word karashim as blacksmiths. Don't you like that a little bit better? Blacksmiths. We're not craftsmen, right, with sawhorses and pliers and screwdrivers. We're blacksmiths, right? Let me put a picture up here. Doesn't that look better? Blacksmith. That's what we're going to go with. The new revised standard version of Karashim and Zechariah 120. Blacksmith. We'll put this on our website. Members at St. Michael are blacksmiths with bulging biceps and strong muscles. Members and guests at St. Michael, what do they do after worship? They leave worship. With sweat on their brow and fire in their eyes. We're not craftsmen, right? We're blacksmiths with hammers and blowtorches. Yeah, now we've got a chance. Now we have a chance against rejection and isolation and that acute feeling of desperation. Yeah, let's go for it. Too bad that's not the right translation. (laughs) Sure, Karashim can mean blacksmiths in some context in the Old Testament. But not here. Not in Zechariah 1.20. No, in Zechariah 1.20, the translation is best, carpenters, craftsmen. So we're back where we started again. Because all of Zechariah's eight visions in chapters 1 through 6, they're all about rebuilding the temple that the Babylonians destroyed. So we're not blacksmiths with bulging biceps and fire in our eyes. We're craftsmen. We're carpenters with hammers and nails. (laughs) That sounds like Moses against Pharaoh, Joshua against Jericho. That sounds like David against Goliath. And that sounds like it's exactly the prophet's point. Zechariah 121. The craftsman, not the blacksmiths, the craftsman, the the humble craftsman, right? have come to terrify... This is huge, folks. Terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations. The craftsmen defeat the horns. (laughs) We don't overcome... Rejection and isolation and desperation by talking about people behind their backs. We don't overcome by giving them a cold shoulder. We don't overcome the big, brute, bullying horns in life, the horns of the nations, by holding a grudge, getting even, being angry. No. The craftsmen terrify the enemy horns as they rebuild the temple using the tools God has given them. We overcome using the tool of God's word to believe it, receive it, rejoice in it, study it, follow it. We overcome the horns when we use the tool, the power of God's word. In fact, this second vision of Zechariah is simply a preview of the entire book. In the book of Zechariah, there's victory over every enemy. Not just the four horns in the second vision, but over Satan himself. We'll see that in next weekend's sermon in Zechariah chapter 3. Satan who accuses us and shames us and isolates us. There's victory over Satan. Chapter 3. Chapter 5, there's victory over sin. Chapter 13, verse 1, right? We've already heard that in the absolution. The Declaration of forgiveness says there's a fountain that cleanses and purifies us from our sin. Our sin that we've done and the sin that people have done to us. And these victories over every enemy in the book of Zechariah preview and prophesy Christ's victory, right? From the cross and the empty tomb. The kingdom. In this second vision, the kingdom comes through humble, weak craftsmen, carpenters, (laughs) not blacksmiths. Maybe you saw this story. It's been making the rounds. It happened just eight days ago, Saturday night. There's a guy named David Ayers. He's here in the picture. David Ayers was sitting at a NHL game when all of a sudden he got a text. And the text said, you are now playing goalie for the Carolina Hurricanes. He come, David Ayers is 42 years old, folks. He only has one kidney. He's never played a second on the NHL ice. He's got his minor league helmet on. He, he played like for the Fort Wayne Comets, folks. So he gets this text because he's the third-string goalie. I didn't know NHL did this, but they always have a third-string goalie. The first-string goalie got hurt. The second-string goalie got hurt. So they called in David Ayers against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hadn't skated a second on NHL ice. The Maple Leafs shot and scored. The Maple Leafs shot and scored. Oh, deep despair, excessive misery. The Canes were going down. But David Ayers, this 42 year old guy, all of a sudden, he blocked the next eight shots of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Canes beat the Maple Leafs six to three. <laughs> How shocking and stunning was that in the NHL world? That this lowly old man who'd never played NHL hockey in his life with a minor league helmet, a third stringer, actually got the victory. That's a summary of Zachariah's second vision. That the kingdom comes in the least expected way through craftsmen, not blacksmiths. <laughs> God wants to use another group of people that didn't look all that impressive. We call them the Twelve Apostles, they were like third string NHL goalies. These were not an impressive group of people. Their leader, Peter, knew all about boat docks and bass fish, but Peter didn't know anything about the Greek language or Roman culture. His cronies had no formal rabbinic Jewish training either. I know you're saying, God chose them because they were humble, right? (laughs) They were always jockeying for position, wanting to be number one. I know they were loyal, right? <laughs> Not at all. Their three top lieutenants fell asleep at the most inopportune time in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know you say they were sensitive to the needs of others. <laughs> Not so. James and John and Luke chapter 9 once want Jesus to cast down fire upon unrepentant Samaritan villages. These are third stringers. This is Curly Moe and Larry and the gang. <laughs> their hearts are hard. Their collars are blue. Before Jesus called them, they were loading trucks, coaching soccer games, and filling slurpy drinks at Quick Trip. But God used them to bring the kingdom of victory to a world in desperate need for a Savior. And get this, Zechariah's tool time was a part of their message. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 says, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Here it is. The shepherd, Jesus, is being struck. It's tool time, all right. These tools, though, aren't for building up. These tools are for tearing down, ripping and shredding and destroying. Tools of torture, a blindfold, a whip, some nails, a hammer. And of course, the final act of rejection, the Roman spear thrust. The tool time on Good Friday means that God's love for you is not a syrupy, sentimental love. It is a fierce love for you written in the blood of Jesus. God's love for you in Jesus overcomes all rejection, all isolation, and all deep running desperation. And three days later, the heart of Jesus was beating again. <laughs> and so he announced a building program. It's what he says in Matthew 16 I'll build my church. Whatever these horns, these animal horns, these ultimate enemies have ripped and shredded in your life, God wants us to rebuild. It's not over when Jesus is in our story. God wants us to rebuild the ruins, not get stuck in desperation. And he says, the tool is my word. All 66 books of the Bible, all the promises of God. And so craftsmen use the tool of the word and the promises of the word to rebuild the ruins. God uses craftsmen, not blacksmiths. Davids, not Goliaths. Humble people, not the strong. He uses craftsmen, regular folks, third string goalies, (laughs) to build the church, to rebuild our lives. Craftsmen build with vim and vigor and great joy and delight. All of which is to say, does anybody know what time it is? (laughs) It's tool time. Let's build.